0: Well, we want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles now to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew regarding the cost of discipleship here. Matthew writes in chapter 10 regarding. What Christ has reminded them, Matthew, chapter 10, and we'll be starting at verse 29, 29 and reading all the way to verse 39, Matthew, chapter 10, verse 29 to. Thirty nine Matthew, Chapter Ten, Verse Twenty Nine to Verse Thirty Nine. It reads this way Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. This morning, we're very blessed as I've been away on a mission trip. And thank you for all of you who prayed for the LaPush team. Uh, this week we're blessed to have Doug Nichols, many of you who are familiar with him. He's been a friend of our church for a long time. He's the founder of a mission organization located up in Lake Terrace called Action International that ministers primarily to children and widows and those who are in distress and, uh, and they have a powerful outreach uh, to them. He is the founder and uh, the international director and he has uh, been here and a long time encourager of our church in the area of missions. So Doug, let's give him a warm welcome as he comes forward.
1: The other evening I went to see Jerry Bingham in the hospital, Jerry and Candace and uh, usually when I go to the hospital since I do not have a uh, I'm not really an ordained reverend a pastor I have no card uh, so uh, I always want to get into the uh, to rooms to see people even after it's late and so forth so I usually wear a suit or a tie something black uh, or I wear a brown Tagalog now, I notice that when I wear a brown Tagalog a Filipino shirt I get right in immediately I see you wherever. Tubes. I let everybody get right in because all the nurses are Filipino, <laughs> and they just, they just go right in. And I noticed the other night they were telling me everything about Jerry, uh, and uh, and I was really thank you for your prayer for him. They're not sure when they'll be doing the uh, open heart surgery, uh, bypass. So uh, thank you very much for praying for him. Uh, Paul and Gene Goodner are new missionaries with Action. Paul, would you stand please? Paul is uh, here, his wife's not with him today, but they're, he's a new missionary representing Action in Syria, And uh, they're members of a Highlands Community Church. Please do not hold that against them. <laughs> and Renton, thank you Paul, and uh, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate that very much. A disciple is a follower and a learner. A disciple of Jesus, therefore, is... Uh, One uh, who follows him and learns from him. One who patterns his life after the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be known as uh, the word Christian, Christ ones, because our lives are patterned after Jesus. When's the last time you were referred to as a Jesus man? A Jesus woman? Oh, I thought you were a Christian by the way you act you're just like Jesus Jesus said in Matthew ten thirty eight our text today and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me when Jesus uttered these words people knew what the cross meant It meant shame and suffering and death. Several years ago, excuse me, several years before Jesus said this, the Romans had executed on crosses 1,700 Jews who were involved in a rebellion. The Roman army had crushed the rebellion and crucified one person every 30 feet for 10 miles. So people knew what the cross meant. In 1966, I hitchhiked from Turkey down to the Middle East, across Iraq to Kuwait, and then by ship to India to serve with Operation Mobilization. When I was in Jerusalem in Israel, I stood at the foot of a desolate, dreadful, skull-shaped rise just outside the city wall. It is called Calvary in Latin and Golgotha in Hebrew. It was the place where Jesus died on a blood soaked cross. Mark Twain, the renowned novelist, dismissed the crucifixion as simply a discredible incident on a minor planet. But Christians, believers, Filipino means Mananam true believers, have always seen the cross of Christ as altogether central and pivotal for the Christian faith and the gospel. Indeed, here is the very essence of the gospel. Here is the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. The accomplishment of our redemption. And the divine empowerment for a holy living. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.2 said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So the title of my message this morning is The Cross. The Cost of discipleship in the Philippines during Holy Week during Easter week uh, various churches will appoint seven men in the church to give a 5 to 10 to 15 minute message on one of the sayings of Christ on the cross the seven sayings so let's look at the seven sayings the seven last words of Jesus on the cross to understand what this cruel death what the cross meant to Jesus himself To enable us to understand better the implications of what it means for us as disciples to take up our cross and follow him. Number one, the first thing. We'll call this the cost of forgiveness. The first recorded words of Jesus on the cross in Luke 23, 34. After the Jews had falsely accused him and put him through the mockery of a trial after the Romans had cruelly beat him and mocked him and crushed the crown of thorns on his head, after they had driven spikes through his hands and ankles and hung him before a jeering crowd, were, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. For Jesus, the cross meant forgiving when he was being treated wrongly. Jesus taught that we are also to forgive as God has forgiven us. Taking up our cross, therefore, means to die to an unforgiving spirit. It means to forgive even if it kills us. Because our sin has been paid for by God, because He in Christ has forgiven us. We can live lives which are marked by forgiveness. I know this is hard. But let me ask the question. Is there resentment in your heart? today about anything or anyone? Has someone hurt you or offended you or treated you unjustly or violated your so-called rights? If you want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus, if you want to be a follower and learn of Him, you must take up your cross daily. And taking up your cross daily means to live a life of forgiveness. Jesus said, For if you forgive others for their sins, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. The cost of forgiveness. Number two. The cost of receiving. Luke 23, 43. And Jesus said to him, The thief on the cross, Today I say to you, You shall be with me in paradise. Taking up our cross means the cost of receiving warmly into our lives also, daily, the very people who are the most offensive, who are the most difficult to live with, who are the most difficult to even know. Someone said it means offering the right hand of fellowship in response to a slap in the face. It means reaching out to the dirty and the most vile, those who seem unsavable. And received them for Christ's sake. I remember when I was converted, uh, I was a vile, offensive, unsavable type of person. And this Christian who was afraid to even witness to me because I was such a violent person. When he saw me one evening when I was intoxicated, I was drunk. But I had a smile on my face. Invited me into his room to have a cup of coffee. He was studying for exams the next day. And he was up all night. And it was 2 o'clock in the morning. And he sees me with a smile on my face. Hey, Doug, would you like a cup of coffee? And scared him to death of me. But he thought he'd take a chance. Unsavable person to give him a cup of coffee. He Gave me a cup of coffee and began to share the gospel. Coffee and the gospel. Coffee and the gospel. At 4.30 in the morning, I was full of Coffee. But I understood the gospel of Jesus Christ and I came to faith in Christ. Why? Because someone stepped forward as Jesus to the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. The founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, often said, go for souls and go for the worst. The Methodist Wesley said, go not only to those who need you, but to those who need you most. The cost of receiving means taking the morally and spiritually weak and defenseless into our arms and lives as Christians, where we can give them strength and protection and the gospel. If any place they should be feel safe is in the arms or in the presence of, of a Christian. For example, the 800,000 young girls in Thailand between the ages of 16 and 18 who have been forced into prostitution. Or what about the 1,200,000 children in Zambia that will be orphaned because of AIDS? You know, they're nobodies. They're vile. They're filthy. They're, they're, the world has given up on them. What about these children? What about the 100,000 children on the streets of Metro Manila? Or the, or the 4,000 on the streets of Bogota or the Or the two hundred and forty thousand children on the streets of Mexico City. James W. C. Pendleton was a slave in Maryland. He escaped and as he escaped and traveled for several nights, only traveling at nighttime and but when he finally crossed the border into Pennsylvania, he felt safe but he had not eaten and he was he was filthy from crawling in the swamps and he was so hungry and he was so frightened but he saw a farmhouse and the smoke was coming out of the chimney and as the sun came up he finally finally decided to dare to go up to the door and knocked on the door because he needed help so badly and he knocked on the door of this little farmhouse and a Christian came to the door a little Quaker and he saw this dirty black, filthy slave and you know what he said? He said, hello brother, please come in and warm yourself by the fire and let's have some breakfast. Can you believe the impact that this had on that slave? Can you believe what it would be like if you would gather some of the people who are the most untouchable type people and say to them, hello my friend, come inside. Warm yourself by the fire. And let's have some breakfast. And the opportunity that would open the door for you to share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So they could have breakfast in glory with Jesus. Do not be haughty in mind, we read in Romans, but associate with the lowly. Titus three two says, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Not just the ones that can show advantage to you and bless you and help you and give something to you, but those who can do nothing but showing courtesy to all. Yes, the cost of forgiveness and receiving. But number three, the cost of separation. John 19, 26 and 27, Jesus said to His mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple, who is John, took her into his own household. For Jesus to take up the cross meant separation from the one nearest and dearest to him, his mother. John Fraser, a concert pianist, graduated from London University in 1906 with a degree in engineering. He felt God calling him to spend a year in training with the China Inland Mission in London. After that year, he sailed for China. There he was greatly used by God among the Lisu tribal people. Learning their language, identifying with their culture, and bringing them the gospel. And even using his engineering degree to assist them in their dam and and, uh, irrigation projects that they knew nothing about. But God used his background... Especially of the gospel. He's buried today in China. Thousands came to know Jesus through James Fraser's witness. But before he had boarded the ship from England to China. His mother had given him a note. Which said. Today I am the happiest woman in all of England. I could not pour the ointment on the feet of Jesus as Mary did. But I gave him my son. I gave him my son. Are you willing to give your sons and daughter to Jesus? Are you? Even though you've poured money that they might get an education to be a doctor. Or a pilot. Or a musician. Are you willing as J.O. Fraser's mother. I could not pour out. The ointment on Jesus' feet, as Jesus did. But today, I gave him my son. Are you willing to be separated from your family and friends and children and even your grandchildren here on earth, with the promise of even a bigger family in glory? Sometimes separations, however, are not as peaceful as James Fraser's was. Sometimes taking him to cross means. It means being rejected by our families, even though this is hard to understand, the Word of God says in matthew ten thirty four and thirty five which we read this morning, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter in law against her mother in law The separation was the sword of the gospel. My wife, Margaret, and her sister Linda helped disciple several young sisters from a wealthy Chinese business family in Manila. These young ladies were criticized and mocked for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Were even spit at. And were nearly cut off from their family. And taking up your cross to follow Christ, it might mean this... This very cross will cut across one's dearest family relationships. Number four, the cost of aloneness. The cost of aloneness. Matthew 27, 46. When Jesus was on the cross, God made His judgment known to the world in an awful way. From the sixth hour, we read, until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. And then in the midst of that great darkness, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The way of the cross for Jesus meant the cold darkness of God's judgment on sin. It meant an overpowering sense of rejection and abandonment and condemnation when He, the Savior, who had never sinned, Became sin for us that we might be made righteous in Him. If we take up the cross, we will also at times feel the cost of aloneness. As we seek to grow in our faith, as we seek to minister to others, as we simply seek to live for Christ. We will go through times of utter and being in the dark, being feeling completely alone, misunderstood, everything going wrong, walking in the dark, not knowing what to do. It's at times like these that we need to realize that the Christian life is not a life in which we walk by sight. But it's a life of walking by faith. Not walking by feeling. Oh, I, I feel... No, not walking by feeling, but walking by faith. Trusting our Lord no matter what. Someone tells the story of a house that caught on fire the family father mother several children were on their way out when the smallest boy became separated from the others suddenly he appeared at a smoke filled window crying his father outside looking up seeing him cried out jump son jump I will catch you through the smoke the boy cried but daddy I can't see you I know his father cried I know you can't see me but I can see you we need to remember, friends, that Jesus sees us in our aloneness. Whether we can see Him or not. He promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is promise. Proverbs three twenty-five and 26 says, Fear not when you are going through sudden fear. Fear not, for the Lord your God is always at your side. That's it. Yes, the cost of forgiveness and receiving and separation and aloneness. Now the cost of suffering, number five. God identified with man by becoming a man in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus. John 19, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, in order that the Scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. I thirst. Notice two things here. First, the cry of Christ, the human one. In identification with us in a human body, Christ suffered in thirst. In this body of ours, we will suffer. Sickness and cancer and pain and heartache and heart trouble and heart blockage and war and accidents and family sorrow and job loss and insufficient pay and misunderstandings. All of these are simply because we are living in a body. We are on this sinful planet. They're part of our our, our life as men and women. Yet we do not lose heart. We grieve, but we don't grieve as the world. Especially as Christians, we need to remember that when we pick up the cross, it will cost. It will cost. The result will be suffering. Crosses are not comfortable. Now you can have a chain and have one on your neck. (laughs) But they're not comfortable. The Apostle Peter teaches that it is God's will for Christians to suffer. 1 Peter 4.19 Paul said in Philippians 1.29 It's our privilege as Christians to suffer for the sake of Christ. Psalm 34.19 Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver you from them all. God never permits or brings anything into our lives, by the way, but for our good and for the glory of God. God's glorified. It may seem difficult to understand. This is a hard message. But that's where God is glorified. Through the suffering that you go through. For your good, but for the glory of God. Margaret and I have always said many times that God has gifted us as a family with cancer. Now why do we say this? Right after a trip to Mexico City. Margaret and I went in for my regular cancer checkup with my doctor. He is Jewish and one of the leading oncologists in the world. During the examination, he expressed his concern about my travels abroad to Africa and Latin America and Asia because of my low immune system. Upon learning that I had just returned from Mexico, where I'd been with our team, working on the streets with underprivileged, filthy, dirty street kids, he asked, why do you waste your time with street kids? We replied that the only hope for these children was the gospel of Jesus Christ. He sat down, looked at us very seriously, and said, would you explain that to me again? (laughs) Can you believe this? So Margaret and I, had the opportunity to share the good news of Christ with this intelligent, prestigious, well-to-do, much-loved-but-lost man. Later, I said to Margaret, Isn't it something? Here I am, the likes of me, having the privilege to share the gospel with such a man. Here I am, basically an uneducated man, sharing the gospel with this genius. Here I am, a simple person, talking to this distinguished man about Christ. Here we are in comparison to him with little money. But explain the gospel to this prosperous, affluent, this world-renowned man. And what allowed us to do this? What put us in that doctor's office? What put us in that hospital? It was God, through the instrument of cancer, put us there. And because of cancer, we had the opportunity to share the gospel to this man. Yes, uh, there was a cry of the human one, but notice also the cry of Christ, the Holy One. Is it too much to say that Christ on the cross thirsted for the souls of men and women throughout the world and throughout history? Christ suffered in the flesh and in His Spirit for the souls of His people. Do we? If we truly want to see men and women turn from sin to trust Jesus, to become mature, godly men and women that we must be willing in taking up our cross to thirst to suffer for others. One of our missionaries in Manila working in a depressed slum area to start churches suffered from extreme asthma. He could hardly breathe. I asked him at one conference when he was on the back porch of this building trying to get his breath after speaking. I asked him how he could keep on working in such a condition. His answer a team of wild horses could not pull me away from the privilege of sharing the gospel with the poor people of Manila. Suffering. Do you and I thirst for the souls of others? Number 6, the cost of perseverance of completion. Number 6. The cost of perseverance. John 19:30. Jesus said, "It is finished." The work of our salvation is complete. Praise God for the perseverance of Jesus on the cross. He did not call 10,000 angels to to deliver him, did he? He completed the job of redemption and rose from the grave three days later to prove it. When we take up the cross, let's not put it down when the going gets tough and gets uncomfortable or even gets embarrassing. Count the cost to the very end. Someone said, the life of a consecrated consistent Christian is characterized by continuance concerning the course commissioned by Christ. A lot of C's. A lot of C's. The life of a consecrated consistent Christian is characterized by continuance. See that continuance is right in the middle. Continuance concerning the course God has given to all of us to complete in Him. We middle-aged and older people need to realize that the life of the cross is going to take perseverance. We don't lay down the cross when we get to be 65. We don't say, let the younger people do it. We don't say, I'm not comfortable doing that. I don't feel that my age is me. I go slower. We don't float to heaven on a bed of ease. It's a battle all the way. No... Not to gain salvation. But to strive for holiness. To work for the night is coming. To live. To fight for the souls of men. To persevere in the life of obedience for the glory of God. We are not dead yet. We're not dead yet. And number seven. The cost of submission. We see the cost of forgiveness and receiving and separation and loneliness and suffering and perseverance. But number seven. The cost of Submission, A surrender. Luke 23, 46. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Jesus, just hours before, had prayed in the garden. Something that amounted to the same thing. He said, not my will, but thine be done. And now the Father took him at his word. This is the bottom line of discipleship, isn't it? The true cost of following Jesus. The willingness to obey him. No matter what the cost. Jesus said John fourteen, fifteen, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The Apostle John teaches us so clearly that God's commands are not burdensome. It is a joy to express love to our God and Savior by obeying Him. C. T. Studd, the great missionary in China and India and Africa. While in England on one occasion was sharing a room at a conference with a great great and godly Bible teacher, F.B. Meyer, who many of us still read today. One morning, F.B. Meyer woke up early and he saw C.T. Studd going through his New Testament rather quickly with tears running down his face. Mr. Meyer asked, Charlie, what are you doing? C.T. looked up and said, I'm reading the commands in the New Testament again in the light of the words of Jesus, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I'm looking at all the commands and I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed because I see so many that I have not kept. Do you love Jesus today? Are you a follower of His? Have you proven that by obedience? Young people, what about the command to obey, respect, and honor your parents? What about the command, uh, all of you, the command to be hospitable? What about the command to be, as we saw, forgiven? What about the command, you just look at Colossians 3, the command of, of being kind, being kind to people, uh, being uh, compassionate. The command to be, to be humble. To be, to be loving. To be, to be giving. What about the command to, to, to work hard? Uh, to be diligent? What about the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel? What about the command when you hear that the 240,000 kids are on the streets of Mexico City. Somebody should do something about that. God, would you call me? I want to obey you. To go into all the world and preach the gospel even to these kids. So let me close. Years ago, Martin Schultz, one of our missionaries from Canada, picked up the cross to take the gospel to the millions of people in the Philippines. In spite of lack of support, much sickness, much weakness, going through military coups and national disasters, he continued to serve the Lord faithfully with his wife and their four children. It was greatly used of God among hundreds of poor pastors and Christian leaders throughout that country on one occasion, Martin and two Filipino pastors had just finished a three day survey study of one of the nine hundred depressed areas of Metro Manila, nine hundred depressed areas, four hundred and fifty still without one church, some of those depressed areas as many as twenty five thousand people but Martin and he just finished a survey with these two Filipino pastors and and as he was there for three days doing this survey everybody noticed him because you know Martin being a we say uh, anybody who's white is an Americano even though he was Canadian he had a beard and and he stood out from everyone else and people watched him and they watched how Martin was kind and considerate and how he deferred to these two Filipino pastors. And how he was, he, he was so courteous to the older people and how he loved the little children. You know, they, they saw all of this. And the day that he was leaving, a little girl who had watched Martin go about all of this for three days, approached him as he was leaving and said... Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. Are you Jesus? Are you Jesus? See, in her background, she heard that you know, about a Jesus, you know in the Catholic culture, and maybe she had been to church and she had heard about this, 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 this man, this Jesus. and I wonder if, if this is him, I wonder if this is him. Sir, excuse me. Are you Jesus? so as you pick up your cross and experience the cost of forgiveness and receiving and separation as other people observe in your life the cost of aloneness and suffering and perseverance and submission to God will they be drawn to respond to the Savior who they see in your life and will they approach you today or tomorrow and say excuse me ma'am excuse me sir Excuse me, young lady. Excuse me, young man. Excuse me, little one. But I've watched you so often. Could I ask you a question? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower? Because I've noticed that you live and walk just like Him. Are you a follower of Jesus? Father, thank you for the word of God which continues to bring joy and gladness to our hearts and prepares us for glory but also brings conviction and brings out areas in our life that we need to repent of and turn from and, and, and trust you to use this father and to live lives of obedience that bring glory to you and that the world may see that we belong to the father Jesus Christ the Lord. Father, may our light shine before men in such a way that they may see, see our good works. To see Christ living in and through us. Hear the message of salvation. And therefore be drawn to Him and glorify God, our Father in heaven. Father, continue to speak to our hearts today. And may people actually come up to us sometime and say, Excuse me, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you one of His? Would you tell me more about Him? And how I can love and follow Him too? Help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.